You are now listening to a Fit Plus Love production. I started running because I, I was never a runner. I happened to be walking near the finish line of the New York City Marathon in 2015, and something sparked something inside me. And and what I what I typically say, and I think this is still true, it was just seeing the runners and seeing something that came out of them into me and I knew that I had to run the New York City Marathon at that very moment. I, I knew I was going to run the New York City Marathon in 2016 and, and that's how I started. That was Charles Moore. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative, movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome and welcome back. Hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas and Hanukkah and are finding the time to chill out during this holiday season. This is the last combo drop for 2022, and it's a good one. Today, I sync up with Charles Moore. Charles is an art historian and collector, a three-time author, a doctoral student getting his PhD focused on Ed Clark, the abstract painter, and he is also a regular contributor to Artsy, Juxtapose Magazine, Cultured, and Brooklyn Rail. But most importantly, he is a runner, and in the past three years has completed 20 marathons, which began with New York City Marathon and just wrapped with New York City Marathon in 2022. Charles is also working on his memoir, thanks to Tracksmith, Why Black People Don't Run Marathons. During our conversation, Charles and I sync up about where his passion for art history and collecting began, where his love of running and racing around the globe started, and how the two intersect. Charles shares how he started running later in life at 40, and the event that inspired him to get into marathons. We talk about his race strategy, planning, and approach to running marathons, how he is working on his memoir, thanks to Tracksmith, titled Why Black People Don't Run Marathons, and the art and history he got to experience while in Berlin running the iconic Berlin Marathon. Charles shares why he ran the Alabama Marathon and his incredible experience as well. We also talk running shoes and inside tracker. I hope you enjoy our conversation. If you do, leave us a review. It's easy. Head over to wherever you get your Apple Podcasts, click on the five stars, and click on leave a review. But before we dive in, shout out to our sponsors, Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. It transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science backed nutrition recommendations you need to optimize your health. Get 20% off today at insidetracker.com slash Marnie on the move or use our code cheers Marnie. Now 
onto our conversation. Charles, it's so wonderful to meet you and to connect with you. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's so wonderful to meet you as well. I love all of the work that you do. You're an art historian, you're a runner, you're a writer, and author of The Black Market, A Guide to Art Collecting, The Brilliance of the Color Black Through the Eyes of Art Collectors, Israelis Transformative Black Artists. Where did your passion for art and art history begin? So it actually began with my mother. So my my mother was the first art collector I ever knew. And she really, and when I think about her collecting art um, back when I was in middle school, in reality, she was just decorating our home with images of things she loved. So later on, when I started to think about those experiences growing up, where my mother would take me to art museums and galleries and and festivals and fairs, um, she was really just uh, really not collecting art, but just more so decorating our, our home with the images that she wanted to have on the walls. Right. And later on, as an adult, I started to go back to the museum. Um, I think it started in undergrad. But really, when I went to grad school the first time, <laughs> um, I, I, I studied in, in Italy. And so while I was in Rome, I traveled all over Europe seeing all these wonderful artists from 300, 400, 500 plus, even a thousand years ago. And I fell in love with artists like Michelangelo and Bernini and Giorgio Morandi, even to become more uh, modern. But when I came back to the States in 2012, I was invited to a wedding in Boston and I stopped in a museum, uh, the international, the, the Boston, the ICA at Boston. Okay. And I just watched the film Exit Through the Gift Shop. Oh, I love and, that. That's a great movie. Yeah. Right. And so, I, and I, of course, I just watched the film right before I got to Boston. And when I got to the, the gift shop, I saw these, these edition prints of, made by Shepard Fairey. Yeah. And, and, and then because the name was fresh in my head and, and it was very uh, approachable, the price, it was only $50. I, I, I bought a couple prints. Yeah. And then I got home uh, a week later and I started to do some research on Shepard Ferry and, and Banksy and Mr. Brainwash, the mm-hmm. three artists that were in that documentary. Like and I just started collecting. street artists that... Right. Right. Brought it to be at the forefront of pop culture. Yeah. Right. 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 But for me, they were very pivotal to like my start as not just an appreciator of art, but as an art collector. Cool. So that's how you started collecting. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I started collecting. And then I, I, I collected that way for a few years. And I would say in 2017, so around five years later, I had been collecting for five years, I met an art advisor, an actual art advisor. Yeah. And, you know, she said, tell me about your collection. And I started to discuss the artists in my collection. And she sort of turned up her face and she thought, well, you know, why are you collecting these artists? 
what what are they saying to you? What, what how 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 is their work speaking to you? And I didn't have an answer for her. And so she started to introduce me to some other artists. And from there, I I I started to collect the work of artists that really spoke to me. And 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 I started to understand their story and the the, the work they were creating, why they were creating it. And from there I started to buy different when I purchased art. But you still are inspired by art that speaks to you from a visual right. perspective and then from right. you know the history of that artwork or the inspiration behind that artist. Right. Right. So who are you who are some artists that you collect now? Like who are you who is yeah. Yeah, so I I I'd say the the last maybe three acquisitions um was a sculpture by an artist named Derek Forjor. I recently had my my portrait painted by an Israeli artist on a trip to Israel. Um, and then I think uh, the the more recent one after that was a, a an Anthony Akimbola, okay. um, a, a piece by him. Your books, The Brilliance of the Color Black, The Eyes of Art Collectors. Is it focused around black artists or the color black? Like, is it literal or figurative or both? Um, so it, it, it is a little bit of both. So okay. the first book was actually The Black Market, A Guide to Art okay. Collecting. Got it. And and that book stemmed from me. It, it was, I, I would say about a year before the pandemic started, I started reading a lot of books about art collecting. And I pretty much read every single book ever written about art collecting. Wow. Okay. And what I, but no surprise. Uh, once we think, talk about I your think, background in education, yeah, <laughs> I, th I think I, I have. Okay. Um, but what I, but what I noticed is there was a, a, academia we would call a gap in the literature, and so what I saw as a gap in the literature was really a, a book about art collecting that actually tells you how to start collecting art, and tells you what you need to do before you become an art collector. And, and so in the beginning of the book, The Black Market, the first chapter is me telling you to read more books, <laughs> uh, which is basically like I did. And, and, and I, I tell the reader to read more books and here are the types of books you should be reading. And then I tell the reader to visit as many art museums, but also art galleries and art fairs, and to see as much art as you can be before you start buying art. And, and then at the end of the book, I, I sort of give these case studies on actual collectors that I interviewed uh, about how they started collecting, why they collect, what they collect, etc. And so uh, the idea is for the reader to maybe find mm -hmm one of these collectors and see themselves in the way they started collecting. And then the other book you wrote was more around black artists, Israelis, transformative black artists to be specific. So the first book was a, a, about black artists, but it was really about how to start collecting art. The, the second book, which was Israel's transformative black artists stemmed from a curatorial residency that I, I had won the summer in the middle of the pandemic in 2020. And I, I was going to research this group of Ethiopian Jewish artists that live in Israel. 
And so that book is a very small, I would say, kind of an academic book. And I'm really just, just sort of deep diving into the, the lives of these artists and the history of their journey from Ethiopia to Israel and then the type of works that they're creating and why. That's really um, interesting. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then, the, and then the third book is The Brilliance of the Color Black Through the Eyes of Art Collectors. And that book is really sort of an extension to the first book and it and it and it does sort of weave in the color black throughout the, the text mm-hmm. and and it is it really is a, a, another book about art collecting but i i discuss things like um museum boards and being an art patron as opposed to an art collector and um just sort of like if, if you've been collecting art for five or 10 years, where do you go from here? Yeah. Yeah. So that's good for people who are interested in collecting art that want to learn a little bit more about how to go about doing it. But I mean, maybe you could share like, where do you go if you want to take it to the next level with your collecting? Yeah, I think some of the things I talk about in in that book are things like really supporting artists and really getting behind their practice and helping them to get into residencies and helping them with with um, getting into museums, uh, but also like the 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 importance of as a collector being on a museum board and what that means um, and things that you should be thinking of if you become a board member to a museum. Um, but also as a collector, you should start thinking about having a trust and and having an art law attorney and making sure you're properly insured and and protecting your collection and things that people often when collectors are just buying and buying and buying they're not thinking about the fact that now they've acquired and accumulated this asset which you know is art and just basically protecting that asset very cool. And so who are some of the artists that you are collecting these days or that in, are inspiring you and why? Um, you know, there's a there's a very young artist named Telvin Wallace that I, I find that's in, very inspirational. Um, one of my favorite artists is Alteron Scumby. Um, he's an abstract painter. You know, there's a, there's another artist, um, Heather McLeod, a recent MFA grad. Uh, who's a portrait artist that is very inspirational, to name a few. Cool. How do you feel about NFTs? <laughs> <laughs> That's always an interesting question. Uh, I invest the Warren Buffett way. Okay. And and so what what that means is, I you know when I invest, I only buy things I understand. And so with art. I buy art in the same way. I don't really quite understand NFTs. And so in, until I understand them further, I, I, I haven't purchased an NFT. I, I do own one NFT. I went to an NFT talk at Art Basel uh-huh. last year and all the attendees of this talk, which was about NFTs, yep. uh, were gifted an NFT by a very uh, prominent artist named Derek Adams, who just did a, a very huge project with Tiffany's okay. recently, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I, I have no clue 
what I own. I own a Derek Adams NFT. I have no clue what that even means. I watch the space. I'm really into, I love street art. I like artists that come from like the graphic design background. Right. Of course, I love abstract expressionism because my mother is an abstract expressionist. So who, so who are your favorite artists of all time and why? Since you're an art historian, I'm asking you these questions. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, if you, you know, that's like saying who's your right. favorite child. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Caravaggio. Okay. So when I look at portrait painters, I tend to sort of veer towards artists who paint in that fashion, um, very much like artists who can paint light or or the absence of light very well, mm-hmm. like a Mario Moore okay. or a Titus Kafar. Um, so I'm I'm really interested in those type of artists. So I would always I would definitely say Car- Caravaggio is one of my favorite of all times. Um, I I really actually I like Jeff Koons. Um, okay. I I love I love his work. I I met him a, a couple times and he's very nice in person. Um, so that's always interesting to know but i you know i like artists like rashid johnson um henry taylor i I really love yeah to think about living artists how do you look at those artists like in terms of how they like are influencing art today and culture and yeah you know i look at artists and i i ask myself are they doing something different um what are they trying to portray through their work mm-hmm. um, and is that is that speaking to me um, so you know so I, I, I do a lot of work right now I'm doing a lot of um, academic work on an artist named Ed Clark uh, speaking of abstract mm-hmm. art but you know you know he was arguably the first to use a shaped canvas um, he was the first to use a push broom as a as as a brush stroke for his art yeah and he spent a lot of time in europe and you you really see that influence um from the parisians in his work in the usage of color um yeah so i I really do love the work of ed clark uh you're a doctoral student at columbia so what are you getting your degree in um actually speaking of ed clark my dissertation work is going to be about Ed Clark, his life and his work. And I think it may be the first academic dissertation about his life and his work. Um, so I'm combing through his archives are held at the Smithsonian uh, Archives of American Art. And so for the last six months, I've been back and forth to D.C. combing through the archives and and doing various smaller um, works on Ed Clark and, you know, leading up to my dissertation, which I'll probably start, um, next year. Wow. And so, and you also, what did you do? You also graduated from Harvard and I feel like you might have another degree in there somewhere that you mentioned. (laughs) So you obviously enjoy doing these uh, education at school. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Right. Um, so that when when I was at Harvard, I was actually making a career change. I was a, I was in finance. I was a wealth manager uh, for years. I did an MBA in finance at St. John's University, which is how, how I landed in Rome. St. John's, who, which is based in New York City, but they're a Catholic university and they have a large presence in Rome and Paris. 
and I did my MBA in Rome. Cool. Um, but when I was thinking about changing my career, I was collecting art and I was, I was so focused on art. I, I had no interest in my work, my nine to five. And I decided I would, I would make art my work and, and in doing so, I thought it would be best to go back and really dive deep and learn more about art. And so I, I did my second master's in museum studies and that I focused on inclusion, inclusion of, of art education at art museums for black students. That's very cool. I think it's so yeah. important. And, and you obviously love writing because you've written a few books. So was that something that you started at a young age or, you know, was that something that you started after your, you know, working in, in finance? And No, I, I, I always wanted to write books, but I, I was always a terrible writer. <laughs> <laughs> and, awesome. and, you know, yeah. I, it was, I think, you, you know, when I went to Harvard, it was like I had to catch up really fast. Because I was, uh, I think my skills as a writer was far more inferior to some of my classmates and and people I I went to school with, and so I. I but I've always been an avid reader, and so I just kind of sort of changed the way I read books and became a better writer by by reading in a different way, and so you know I. I think I became a, a, a pretty decent writer by just reading more, but focusing on how that person who wrote whatever text I was reading, how they shaped that text. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think it's, it's, yeah. it's, I think, um, you know, as someone who I read a lot of nonfiction and I am very influenced by the writers that I read and, I also have a hard time reading anything just and relaxing. It's more like I read things and I see that because it is right. ingrained in me from a young age. I mean, and from even, you know, working earlier in my career in PR and branding, it's like I, everything I read is through that lens. So, right. but it is a really great way to improve your, your writing is just to read more and to bring that lens to the mix to kind of absolutely you know see things that way and so when so when do you find time to run <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding there's always speaking time of which <laughs> i was uh, you know i was notoriously a bad trainer and and you know i'm i'm just starting to get better at it at, at my kind of sort of my second career at running yeah. you know basically because i took so much time off during the pandemic um, you know, but I started r running because I, I was never a runner. And, you know, I, I told this story uh, 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 once or twice, but like I was, I happened to be walking near the finish line of the New York City Marathon in 2015. And something sparked something inside me. And, and what, I, what I typically say, and I think this is still true, it was just seeing the runners and seeing something that came out of them into me. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I had to run the New York City Marathon at that very moment. 
I, I knew I was going to run the New York City Marathon in 2016. And, and that's how I started. I mean, it is a very contagious thing, running. And I also have watched the New York City Marathon and watched everyone run past me. I usually watch from Brooklyn on 4th, on 4th Street near the Whole Foods. And it's right. actually like the best place to watch the marathon because you can actually see all the professional athletes come by and it's not that crowded. I mean, I've watched it enough times that I had to do it too. I understand. Right. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And unlike you, I have not done another one, but you have done 18. <laughs> <laughs> 19. 19. 19. 19 yeah. marathons. So what do you love yeah. about running? I, I, I love like being in the community. And I think, you know, I ran the first marathon and I signed up to run Philadelphia two weeks after as a plan B, really. Right. Um, you know, some of the people who were advising me at the time said, hey, look, as a backup plan, if something happens, you never know what could happen on race day. It really is true um, because you see even elite runners who do not finish a, a marathon. Um, and, and because of that, I was advised to sign up for Philadelphia, which is two weeks after New York. And, you know, my advisor said, barring the reason you didn't finish was an injury, you're already trained up. And if you don't finish the New York City Marathon, you can run to Philadelphia two weeks later. And I felt terrible after finishing the New York City Marathon. And I, I had no intentions of, of owning up to, to that registration. Uh, but about a week later, after the marathon, I started to feel better. And I said, I need, I need that feeling again. So I went ahead and ran Philly. I went ahead and ran Philly. This is a common thing that happens to athletes. You come through the finish line, you are absolutely crushed, dead. And then like two days later, you're like, I think I'm going to do another one. It's like your brain right. just like blocks it out. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I, you know, in, in all of those marathons I ran there, there hasn't been a single one except the first one where, where it was just all fun and games and it was all love. And I had no clue what I was getting myself into every single one after that. I said, I'm never doing this again <laughs> so, at some point in the middle of the race. Yep. <laughs> and many of them, I said it multiple times. But so, like, where's the disconnect? Like, you're a smart guy. <laughs> like, what happens? Like, you just... it's I cross the finish line, and then I have to get that feeling again. <laughs> so do you ever, like, do this... Like, have, so you've done 19 marathons. Do you do other distances right. or just marathons? Um, I, yeah, I, I run shorter distances. So okay. half marathons, 10Ks, 5Ks, even a one-miler. Um, and the first year when I was training for the New York city marathon, I ran everything that I could get into. So I, but I also ran tough mutters and Spartan races. Oh, wow. I did a Spartan trifecta, um, which I, I knew that after I ran and completed this, the Spartan beast in Kill, Killington, Vermont, I knew I was never doing another trifecta again. Yeah. Oh my God. And what's your next race? So I'm, um, Training for New York City Marathon. Cool. Uh, which is November, as you know. Um, but I, I do have some unfinished business. So one of one of my goals was to complete all six world majors. Mm -hmm. 
uh, New York City, Boston, Chicago, London, Berlin, Tokyo. And within those 19 races, I finished five of the six world majors. Okay. And I was scheduled to run Tokyo March 1st, 2020. Right. Um, It was canceled. And then in 2021, um, I think they were only allowing elite runners. Yes, elite runners. Yeah. Um, And then, and I said, aren't I elite? Yeah, I think so. But (laughs) you have to like register for it. (laughs) That's all. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then in 2022, they were only allowing pro runners and people who, who lived in Japan. Yeah. And so crossing my fingers, I'm scheduled to run Tokyo March 2023. Yeah. And so that's really my unfinished business. I'm, I'm going to run New York City, but really to, Tokyo is my unfinished business, I think. And how many times have you run New York City? Uh, this would be number five. Number five. So, what are you? What's right. the what's the secret to success there? Like, what's? Do you have any like tips and advice for people who are racing this year that maybe haven't raced that race? Well, I think if yeah. I, you know, I, I think if you if it's your first marathon and you're running New York City, I think the best advice I have is to have fun. Yeah. Um. It and and I think really, you know, I think everything else will will fall into place. If you've done the work, you know, if, if you if you've done the homework, when the exam comes, you're going to pass. Yeah. And, you know, like you're you and, and, and if you've done a lot of homework, then you'll get the grade that you probably want. And the same goes with the marathon. If you've done the training properly, then you will run the time you want. Um, and really, you should if it's your first marathon, you should have fun. Yeah. What if it's your second then you got to go, you, 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 gotta then go you have it. to go for the PR. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have, then you got to go hard. Yeah. Nonstop. I, I have yet to do the second. I, um, but so, I mean, what is it that you love about running? Cause I know you must love it. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, I'm a very, I'm very much a goal oriented person. And so, you know, a lot of times, and I say have fun because a lot of times throughout the process, I'm not having fun. And I'm thinking about the goal at hand. And, you know, if I'm writing a book, I'm thinking about the day the book comes out and I'm, I'm going so hard to get the, the, the words on the pay, page and I'm not having fun with the process. Right. And I think, you know, I think what I learned one of the biggest things I learned throughout running all those marathons is that if I, if I don't enjoy and relish the moment, then it really isn't going to fulfill me at all. And, you, you know, and, and I think I, I didn't learn that until probably like the fifth marathon. Yeah. I think that's that a I hard to, lesson to learn though, because right. And whether we're talking about running or career or work, it's like, and I, you know, I do the same thing. Like I have certain goals that I set and, and then I'm like just really focused on those goals. And, you know, sometimes it's important to take a step back, it does not stop, but just like, you know, take right. a moment to enjoy the process. And I think that, right. I'm, I think that a lot with running, I find myself getting so caught up in like, 
you know, what mile I'm at and what pace I'm keeping. And yeah, I right, do that. Like right. I'm a total numbers right. person. And, and I always have to remind myself whether I'm at my desk working or doing a race, right. like right. to take, to just chill out. And I think <laughs> I found myself offering that advice the other day <laughs> to someone, right. like, you know, someone <laughs> right. said to me, like, I really, I'm really not a runner. I just don't like running, but I do it. And it's so hard. I'm like, you know what? I'm like, you just have to relax while you're running. Right. Which is those two things are just like so opposite, but you're a runner. Like you get that. Like you just have to settle into yourself. Right. Just chill right. out and like enjoy the run. I also think the, the one of the beauties of, of running is the running community. Yes. And I think if you, if you don't know that, then you should get involved in the running community. And you can do that just by talking to the person next to you. Right. And, and, and I think it, it'll, it will evolve from there or talking to people when you're at the expo, um, talking to people online, uh, reaching out to, you know, people who have platforms like yours and, and engaging, because I, I think there's something very, very special and different and important about the running community that makes this sport very different and interesting and beautiful. And that's one of the things that I really learned after being within the community for a while, because, you know, it, it's one of those things that you do a lot of it by yourself. Yeah. Um, like being an artist, you, you're in your studio, you're painting by yourself being a writer, wherever you're at, you're in front of your computer by yourself. Yep. But, you know, you, you have to be to engage with people who are like-minded, who are, have like interests. And, and, and you'll discover so many more beautiful things about running um, by engaging in the community. And I think that's what always have kept me inspired. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a handful of people that I, I continuously engage with. And if I ever lose inspiration, I shoot one of them a text or give a phone call and I'm back, back inspired to get back at it. Yeah, that's a great, the running community is amazing. And that is a great, it's a great community to keep you going. And even like if you're out running in Central Park and you see another runner, there's just a look or a nod or something that, you're like, hey, what's up? I feel right. your pain. Right. Like we're doing the same thing. You did this in three years. You've done 19 marathons. I did. Yeah. And you you started running later in life. I mean, you weren't even running your whole life. So how did like what was that like for you? Just getting started. I I mean, I obviously you know you were 40 when you started running. And right. What was it like getting started later in life and running? Well, I think you know one of the the, the most important things for me getting started later in life was to make sure I didn't get injured. And I was constantly thinking about um, how do you stay safe? And, and so a lot of my early research was what are the shoes that provide the most cushion and protection to, for my knees and joints and et cetera. So I started out running with ASICs and then I later moved to Hoka. Okay. Um, because I was really just thinking about protecting my joints, and I thought that those those their their sneakers were the best for that. Um, so that was that was one of the you know the main things that was important to me is like starting running and later in life. 
and wanting to continue, wanting to be able to um, complete 19 marathons in three years, I wanted to make sure I didn't get injured. And if I got injured, the, you know, the whole plan is, is gone. <laughs> which, um, which hokas do you run in? Uh, I started running in the Bondi and then I moved to the Clifton's Okay, and I think, I, and I just, I just started running in the carbon X threes. Are you doing short distance? distance. Short distance. I was going to say, cause like every shoe is different depending on what distance you're going to run in. But everybody right. says that the carbon X, like carbon sole, you can do a marathon in those, but you have to sort of, right. like, yeah. So what's the process? Break them in. Yeah. You have to break them in. Yeah. So I, I ran, I think four, aside from training, I've, I've run maybe five races in them. I did a couple four milers and a couple five Ks. Okay. I think I did two two four milers and two or three five Ks in them so far. Are they the shoes you want to wear for New York City, or are you going to stick to your Cliftons? If I if I run in Hoka's, they they will be the the Carbon X threes for sure. I mean, I run in a lot of different sneakers, and I do a lot of sneaker testing for myself, and we, I have some other people on my team that do it, and. I've got a few pairs of sneakers here that I need to try, but my running was canceled for three weeks. So I'm back starting next week. Mm. I really do half marathons. That's like my run distance. Um, right. I actually really like the Hoka Supersonics. Okay. Now, okay. I think those are pairs of shoes those. you need to try because here's okay. why. So I usually run in the Hoka Mach 4s or Mach 5s, Mach 4s, and they are perfect for like 13.1. I feel like if I maybe needed to do a marathon, I would revert back to my ghosts, the Brooks ghosts. Those are also mm -hmm. a pair of shoes that I really love, but I like that the Hoka's have a similar fit, but they're a little more bouncy. The supersonics, right? right. not the right. Mach 4s. You have to get the supersonics. Right. right. I, those are the ones I would recommend checking out I more so than even the carbon but I don't know you know I'm testing out shoes all the time so. yeah I, I'm I'll, I'll mention it to the because they sent me the I'm just on their website now yeah. to sort of get my names correct so they sent me the rocket x and the carbon threes carbon x3s yeah I have those and so I've been running in the carbon x3s I haven't really run in the rocket x yet um, so I'll probably test those out and then I'll send them a message, let them know what I think and then yeah. ask for the supersonics. All right. Yeah. You should get them. You should check them out. Do you, is there, so you're, you're on your bucket list is Tokyo, but beyond that, like what's on your bucket list in terms of running? So I, you know, I, I really do love running the international marathons and, I, I like to try to pair up a, a race with seeing something in the city. city. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's an interesting th thing about running in different cities. You kind of get to enjoy the, the, the fruits of the city. And so I, I really love visiting Copenhagen and I would love to run the Copenhagen marathon or the Stockholm marathon. Um, but I would also like to run a marathon in China mm -hmm. and then 
Big Sur. I think I, I keep hearing so many wonderful things about Big Sur. So, you know, I would I would love to run Big Sur and also Los Angeles because I love the city. Yeah, sounds like you mix your travel with running and you do a lot of racecations kind of thing. Yeah. Right. It's a great right. way to see a city or a country. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Depending on how far right. you're going. <laughs> right. And I, when I ran Berlin, I a, a group of my friends came with me. And so we were there for a week and we saw a lot of art and a, a lot of the city. There was a Banksy exhibition at the time, so we all went to see that. Berlin is one of the rare cities that has panda panda bears in their zoo. Um, so we went to the zoo and saw panda bears. But also at the time, there was an artist that heard that Rosa Parks' home was going to be auctioned off and destroyed. So he bought the house, disassembled it, brought it to Berlin and reassembled it on his property and it was allowing people to visit the home of Rosa Parks. And so we got to visit Rosa Parks' home in Berlin. Wow, that's incredible. You know, are there other races where you've been where you've just been so moved, whether it be culturally or from art or from the people that like have really been transformative for you as a person? Oh, absolutely. So I, I ran Birmingham, Alabama. I totally wrote the city off. And in fact, I, 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 I flew in on a Saturday and I was my whole entire plan was to go to the expo, have my pasta dinner run the marathon, and then come right back on Sunday. Right. And when I got there, well, actually, a, about a week leading up to um, going there, I started to research the city and, and learn a little bit about the, the, uh, <clears throat> about the city. And I once I got there, I realized it has such a rich history and culture and and the people were so different and interesting to talk to. And then I, I, I lived in Rome. So running the marathon in Rome was just a, a treat for me to go back to, I, I call it my second home yeah, and run through the city and see my old friends and see like um, all the monuments and sculptures and squares and in the city. And to be able to run the marathon there was just in, incredible rome is one of my favorite cities and right such like such good food and energy and happy and i i was also like coming from paris which that's a rate a marathon i would love to do the paris marathon right did your friends go with you any friends from new york go with you to that or you just had like a lot of friends locally yeah I, i have a lot of friends locally one of my really close friends lives there and um actually two of my really close friends live live there um, from my time while I lived in Rome cool. and, and my friend Karen actually hosted me while I was there. W- one of the very interesting stories about when I was there for the trip to Rome, I stayed at my friend's Karen, my friend Karen's home. And she, she actually has a, a villa with multiple cars. And so she's so generous that she just handed me the keys to one of her vehicles for my stay because she lives a little bit outside the city. And one day I thought, thought I should, I should just go to the gym. I should find a gym and do just a, you know, a nice light 
5K on a treadmill. And so I found a gym that was close by. And I'm backing out of her. And and mind you, I'm driving a manual. And I I do obviously know how to drive a manual, but I I haven't been driving a manual my entire life like Europeans. And so driving up and down hills are pretty challenging for a novice driver of the stick shift. Been there. (laughs) And I, I found myself in in a in a in a in a bind that I almost crashed her car into the wall of her villa. And it, you know, it just, luckily I'm a very patient and calm person. Uh-huh. And I just I just said I started to talk to myself. Okay, Charles, if you crash her car, this wonderful trip is going to be ruined. So <laughs> stay calm and get out of this jam. And I did. So that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. Driving stick shift, driving manual is not easy. I would never do it again. I tried once. I rolled backwards down the hill. So, <laughs> so I, was, I was like younger, but still like when I was like in my like, 20s, a friend of mine lived in San Diego and I went and she was like, you, you know, let me teach you how to drive stick shift. And right. I literally rolled backwards down a hill. And that was it. I was done. I was like, right. oh, this is not for me. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> Beyond like travel and just really cool destinations, like how do you space out the races that you pick to do? Or does it, is it like not, do you try to get all the marathons in within a certain period of time? Like what's the strategy behind how you are picking and planning when you are doing these races? Well, when I, when I ran those races, um, you know, New York and Philly were at the end of the year, both mm-hmm. in November. And that was 2016. And so one of the early goals, because you, you, know, you have no clue yeah. what you don't know. And I decided I was going to run uh, 12 marathons in a calendar year. And so I sort of spaced out the races on where they lay geographically and also on the calendar. And so that was sort of how I picked the races. And so, of, of course, there's a lot of races in the spring and then a lot of races in the fall and very few in the summer. So, so I had a lot of races early in the year. And then one of the, one of the crazy things I did, I think was, was running five marathons back to back in 10 weeks. Wow. So what do you do? Uh, So it was every two weeks. So are you doing a lot of strength training? Like how do you stay strong so that you can, and are you like, is your nutrition, like, do you have a special diet that you're on or like not diet, but like nutrition or, you know, that you're doing that really keeps you in top shape so you can do these races? I think I've always been a, a pr- pretty healthy eater. So I, I didn't really, honestly, I didn't really change my diet. The only thing I, I did while I was running all those races is I did um, add a, a carb heavy diet during you know, yeah. race periods. Um, but that, that was the only thing I really did differently. Um, I, I, I eat a lot of vegetables and fruit and um, usually lean protein, typically. Um, yeah. I rarely have red meat. So that, that's pretty much my general diet. Have you done Inside Tracker? I did. It's incredible how much information they give you from yeah. doing their service. Um, I'm really interested in seeing 
because I just did my inside tracker a, a few weeks ago. Okay. And so I I will do an update in November. Okay. So I'm really curious to see like what changes because I, I will incorporate some of the things they suggested. And it's like I said, it's really incredible how much data that they give you that is different from what my doctor gives me. And I, you know, yeah. <laughs> you don't even have to get me started with that. In addition to all the running and racing you're doing, you have a really cool project coming out that you're working with Tracksmith, writing a memoir, Why Black People Don't Run Marathons. How did that come to fruition? And when, and when is it actually coming out? You know, like throughout the, the process of running all these marathons, I, I, you know, I was only doing it for me, um, mostly. And but throughout the journey, when I would talk about it to other people, I would often like a, a, a frequent response was, you should write a book about this. And I, and I always responded, no one wants to read a book about this. I'm not writing a book about this. And so I think it was around September last year. Yeah. So around this time. I was having lunch with an artist and we were, we were about to discuss him and his work. And so we sat down and he said, you know, before we get started, I really have a couple questions for you. I heard this nasty rumor that you ran 19 marathons. <laughs> and I said, Oh, wow. How did you hear about that? And, and so, and, and I said, yeah, it's true. And he was like, tell me about the 19 marathons. And so I started talking about the, the, the marathon running. And he said to me, you need to write a book about this. And I thought, okay, all right. You know, this may have been the third or fourth person who said it. So I started to sort of think about it being something I would do, but I, I didn't really still take it seriously. Right. The, that evening I got in my inbox an, an invitation to um, apply for the Tracksmith Fellowship. That's cool. And and so I thought, wow, that's really interesting that this happened today. And so I, I obviously I applied to the Tracksmith Fellowship, and still thinking there had to have been hundreds of people who applied to this fellowship. I'll probably never get it. Mm-hmm. And I was awarded the fellowship, and that's why I'm writing the memoir on running 19 marathons as a black older runner. When is the book out officially? Like when will it drop? So I I actually just finished the first draft about a week ago. That's very interesting. That's good. Yeah. So now I'm working with my editor on getting the book into its final shape. Um, So I think it's very possible it could come out in November, but I'm, it's most likely not to come out to 2023, first quarter. Is it like a traditional publishing track or are you, is it being sort of like published through Tracksmith? Like how is, how is it working for the process for it to come out? That's part of why it may not come out until next year okay. because yeah. I'm surveying a couple options. And so uh, thinking about, what we talked about earlier about yeah. enjoying the process. And so I'm, so I'm not in a rush to 
publish it. I'm sure if at the very latest, it's going to come out first quarter next year, but I'm in no rush. Right. Is there some kind of like teaser that you could share? Yeah. So, you know, one of, the, you know, speaking of the community, um, one of the guys I met um, th- throughout the, this journey was a guy named Andrew. And I'm, I'm walking with, a, you know, I, I, I went to Berlin with maybe seven friends and I was walking through the Berlin airport and this, this, this black guy comes up to me and he's like, Hey, you look like a runner. Do you happen to know where the, the marathon expo is going to be at? And I thought, why do they think I look like a runner? And, but, but he thought I looked like a runner. So that was very interesting. And so I, you know, I, I give him, you know, I whip out my phone and tell him where the expo is supposed to be, which he could have done himself. Um, but, but everything happens for a reason. Right. Mm -hmm. And so about six hours later, after we had dropped all our stuff off at the hotel and had lunch, me and my friends go to the expo and I run into Andrew Uh. And so I said, okay, we have to like get to know each other, take pictures, whatever. So he ended up hanging out with me and my friends for the day. And um, we, we kept in touch. And so later that year, I ran New York and, and we, we kept in touch, but we weren't, you know, talking regularly. Right. But you know, so he, he sends me, a, I don't know if he even knew I, I was from New York City. And so he sends me a picture of him with the New York City Marathon medal because he, Berlin is in September. He ran New York in November. And I was like, wait a minute, you're in New York City right now? And, and I just finished New York. He just finished New York. So we, I have this sort of marathon ritual where I never work or do anything on Monday after okay. the marathon. I always just kind of sort of relish in the moment and, you know, have a nice meal and just, you know, um, relax and, and sort of like think about the rates I just ran and the accomplishment. And so I sort of, I spent the day with him with, with my, my normal ritual. Um, so we went to a museum and, and we had lunch at Balthazar. I realized he was an art collector as well. Oh, wow. That's cool. So, and so we started to talk about art and now we've been, you know, over the years have been sending recommendations of artists that we're collecting and looking at and, yeah, so it's it's just sort of an interesting new friendship that came out of running the Burnside Marathon. This has been awesome. Thank you so much, Charles. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, MarnieOnTheMove1 at gmail.com, and let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just 
reach out 